1: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. How are you,
2: Kieran? I'm, I'm grand, thank you, Kevin. All is good. Uh, hoping to see a football match this week, but things aren't looking over-promising. What, who have you got this week? We've got Wolves on Wednesday, but we've got a few with uh, Covid and then oh. it, we're at Old Trafford on Saturday and oh, United's match is already off midweek, so... Uh, wait wait and see. (sighs) Oh, well, I thought
1: we really thought we'd put this behind us, Kieran, didn't we? But there we go. Luckily, the people of the world have got a half baked football (laughs) finance podcast to keep (laughs) them going during another crisis. Um, later in the show, we will be hearing from Tracy Crouch, the ex minister sports MP, of course, who's just published her fan-led review we spoke to her before it happened and we promised we'd speak to her afterwards and it was a really really illuminating interview as i think you'll agree karen
2: because uh, you were there yes i was yeah yeah <laughs> I, I, I love tracy to bit because she just says it as it is yeah there, there is no speak. there is no political uh speech as, as such it's uh she she takes the issues and and deals with them in a uh, in a professional and fair manner yeah, and, and I have to say, Finley's timing
1: was impeccable because he didn't he didn't
2: start barking until we just said goodbye to Tracy. Well, yeah, we were quite lucky actually because halfway through the interview, he he had an itchy ring and he started rubbing himself on the carpet. But uh, fortunately, that uh, that didn't come through the microphone. That's yeah, it happened to me during one of their early podcasts, Kieran. But <laughs>
1: I'm a professional broadcaster, so I know how to deal with these things. We have um, a couple of. <laughs> Do you know what? I hope Tracy jumps straight to the interview and doesn't listen to the start of this pod. We were all serious all the way through the interview, and now we're talking about your dog's ring. Um, bye, BAFTA. Um, a couple of news stories, Kieran. The first is that the proposed takeover of Carlisle United is all over.
2: Yes. Um, this is a very complex situation. Um, Carlisle had borrowed from a company called Edinburgh Woollen Holdings, which mm. subsequently went into administration. It looks as if the that debt was bought by another company called Pure Pay Retail, which in turn was owned by a guy called Philip Day, who has historically been on the board at uh, Carlisle United. Um, he was hoping to take over the club. Uh, I'd say an interesting character. Um, uh, t- take a look at his wikipedia page for his uh his his uh I- interesting views uh such as uh encouraging uh en- encouraging is perhaps a very mild way of putting it uh people to vote for his daughter to be miss england who who uh who were employees of his stores so yeah very oh, okay. uh very old sort of uh, uh patriarchal views um but uh the the supporters trust at carlisle are reticent uh, I, I think in certain aspects of this deal and what we've now had is the the, the current owners the, the board and the uh, supporters trust uh, pointing fingers at each other and it looks as if the deal has has fallen by the wayside um Carlisle are not at the right end of League two at present um, and the the, the the owners are saying well you know with, with the opportunity to potentially rescue the club uh to be fair to philip day he, he has provided funds through through sponsorship historically but uh you know it it, it, it is indicative that uh communication and transparency are, are critical in, in these issues because we've now got the fans saying we're not quite sure what to believe who to believe and uh the, the club has has not not been making money um uh, and Know, it, it would be a shame if they if they dropped out of the EFL if they were relegated. Yeah. Um. Because I mean I I can recall doing a a day trip from Brighton to Carlisle on train and it, it, it's a fantastic town to visit. Uh. And uh. You know, it's it's an old fashioned football ground which which does make us legacy fans quite quite teary eyed. It is a fantastic town to visit, but i was still slightly
1: amused by the fact that the last time we went there, it was it was definitely September when we when we left London, and it, <laughs> seemed, it seemed to be January by the time we got to Carlisle, um, which was a shame because I, all I had on was a Joy Division T-shirt and a very light, was, I don't think I've ever been colder. Uh, I, actually, I didn't know there, there were still things like Miss England um, going on, but now I'm really intrigued to find out whether Philip Day's daughter won it. I'm going to be yes. distracted by that whole thing all the way through. I might have to Google it. Um, this seems to happen on a regular basis, which is not good if you're a South End fan, but the Shrimpers Trust have released a statement saying that South End United chairman Ron Martin is not a fit and proper owner of the club.
2: Yes. Um, we've always said uh, appearing once on this podcast is is actually can be quite a good thing. Yep. Uh, appearing. Once a week or once you know, <laughs> once every couple of weeks tends to be a bad thing yeah. um and, and yes the the relationship between the owner and the fans has has fallen and you know, we 're moving from from one end of the country to the other here um Southend United are uh, at again at the wrong end of a division uh, and this this often is uh, you know this often correlates with a, a breakdown of relations. Um, they are subject to a an embargo from the National League for yeah. uh, late payment or non-payment of uh, of, of uh, taxes to HMRC. So, you know, I think the National League, who themselves have come in for a lot of criticism, some people will feel that is extremely well warranted. Um, they 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 do appear to be trying to monitor these things. Um, Ron Martin is the owner. He's trying to move the club from Roots Hall to uh, a more out of town. Uh, uh, location, I think it's called Fawcett's Farm. Um, you know, I, I I spoke to somebody in in the game, uh, and, and the subject of Ron came up, and he said, you know, Ron Ron has a habit of paying things late, to put right. it mildly. Um, and and uh, he he wasn't therefore particularly surprised. Um, he's he, he he will probably pay the tax when he can feel about, it, but he's also been subject to some uh, some other tax issues himself. Um, ron martin's not been seen since the protests about his ownership have, have started at roots hall um and yeah in part of me thinks well would, would i if i was a football club owner would i turn up if if people were going to be focusing on me and rather than team? so um but i, I think yeah uh, you know, this 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 could be this could be addressed via communication and, and you know it's it's these same old things coming up again and again
1: and it's it's not difficult to do either, is it? In this day and age, it's, it's very easy to communicate with fans it, with something other than an open letter, which we know you don't like. Just it just it just sorts out all sorts of problems. Just have a chat with the fans. It's all the fans want, even if it's bad news. Just tell them it's
2: bad news and what you plan to do to get out of it. Um, just look, just look at Andy Holt at Accrington. Uh, 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 know, of, he's, of course, he is the the the, the personification of. You're not going to necessarily like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it and I'm going to explain why I'm saying it and I'm going to you know, look at the and – if, and if you focus on causes and consequences when, when engaging people in conversation, it, it's amazing how they will take a step back. The, you know, the anger, which you know, we, we associate with, with lots of conversation in, in a much broader sphere in society today, can be dissipated. Mm.
1: Do you know one of the things I love about doing this pod, Kieran, is that when you mention Andy Holt, People across the world in every continent will be listening to this going, Oh, get a room.
2: <laughs> <laughs> when is he, when is it going to be a pod where Kieran doesn't mention Andy Holt? <laughs> well, I mean, the first time, the first time we had communication, we were each other's neck. you know, we were each other's throats. It was, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I'd queried something. Um, and, and to be fair, the 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 Accrington supporters put Andy. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd queried something at the, about the yeah. club, and the, and the Accrington supporters put him in contact. Um, and he he was. I, I like I like him because he is honest. He is he is fair. Um, and he will explain things. He he won't he won't give you a load of old codswallop either. He, he will he, he will be very direct. Um, and and very accurate. Yeah, he sounds a bit like Ali. That- <laughs> That's, that's, that's
1: more or less how we met, to be perfectly honest. Um, here's some good news for Uncle Terry. Millwall's
2: latest accounts are out. Um, yes, and I think this is another example of how we have become inoculated to what would be, under normal circumstances, a bit of a concern. Uh, Millwall lost £13 million in 2020 Um and I think those are actually quite good results, Yeah, and, and that – That seems like a paradox. Um, But Millwall in the the last year before COVID, I think they lost six or seven million. That was the third lowest uh, losses in the championship. And we're talking about a club losing a six-figure sum every week. And I'm saying, yeah, that's quite good. Um, And and it does show just how um, normalised losses in football have become um and our uh, our very good friend who although refuses to come on the show the Swiss rambles put out a fantastic uh, thread on the losses uh, in in football over the last 10 years um uh, t- today you know, we're recording this on on Tuesday um and and it does show that uh, that football from 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 a business point of view and we know that football is not a business to us but mm. at the same time we want it to be sustainable so therefore you need to have some form of of common business sense being applied um those those rules aren't being applied um, Millwall are a what I consider to be a, a well-run club. The, the owner, John Berrelson he he puts money in on an annual basis. Millwall have lost 114 million pounds over the years. You know, wow. we're talking a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah. And I'm saying that's that's good. That's and and good, I think yeah. you know, he, he's he's a really good owner in in the sense that he he sets a sensible budget. He says this is how much I'm prepared to to fund the club this year, and and they stick to it um and they they've had to borrow from the EFL as well they and and repay that over 3 years so that's going to have an impact on them going forwards but um the, the the loss of control over over costs in in the game um how how long can that continue before we see more owners doing a uh, doing a Tony G and either either running out of money or running out of interest, uh, yeah. as, as we've seen at some other clubs. Yeah, um, we're going to be speaking
1: to someone from Clapton FC's women's team about this next story in the new year. But it's come to light, Kieran, just how big the gap is between prize money in the men and women's games in England, particularly in the FA Cup.
2: Yeah, we, yeah, we've just had the the FA Cup uh, final take place. Uh, yeah, was it? well over forty fifty thousand yep. um in attendance um and the winners got twenty five grand now Whoa. that compares to one point eight million for winning the men's competition and and that's after the football association halved the prize money for the men's competition in 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 lieu of you know COVID and the impact that that was having um so it, it it's crazy in in the first round proper. You get uh, twenty two thousand six hundred pounds for in the men's competition, eight hundred and fifty quid in, in no. the women's competition, and and the reason why this has been uh, we're going to have a chat with our friends at Clapton is they they they're a seventh tier club, um, and they've done fantastically well to to get to the third round, and and I think yeah. they were due to play Plymouth, or they got uh, they got they they win, they're going to play Plymouth, and and the, the crazy situation is that if they if they do get to play, to play Plymouth, it's an away fixture, um, and they will make twelve hundred and fifty quid from it. Now, you know, to get from Clapton to, to Plymouth is, is a long journey. They're, yeah. they're actually out of pocket because by the time you've, you've paid for the train fares, and, and if you, if, you, if they are going down the night before, um, then then you, it, it's it, it's lunacy. So you know wh- whether this is something which should be addressed by the FA um, or, or whether this should be addressed by an independent regulator. Um, <laughs> I I don't really want to say. Well, the
1: the FA need to address it. In, In particular, they need to address why there's that disparity in the first place. If anybody from the FA is listening to this, and we know they are, we'd be really intrigued to hear how they justify... The, the those ludicrously small amounts especially as we know that there is w- money coming into the women's game now through broadcast deals etc
2: yeah and and you know no, nobody's claiming that the the women's game at at present is is generating the same type of broadcast revenue as as the men's game but but that is reflected uh in, in the finances of clubs but this these particular gaps uh do seem to be uh crazy and you know, and and when we are seeing examples of uh, national teams now paying the the same amount for men's and women's, and yeah, we we the Lewis football club on yeah. last week, and and they, and they explained why cause it's still a ninety minute game um, for 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 both uh, both men and women. Well, and also you can't on the one hand
1: uh, bang the drum about saying we 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 want women to play football, we want to grow this product, terrible word. And then on the other hand, give them no financial incentive to set up a team in the first place. It's that's ludicrous. So I would love to hear from the FA about somebody uh, like that. I wish we'd recorded this bit before we did the Tracy Crouch interview because I would have asked her about that as well. And I, I imagine I know what her answer would be. Um, one final news story, Kieran. It's FIFA is looking at pursuing its own Global Nations League if plans to host a World Cup every two years fall through.
2: Yes, it does now seem that both uh, UEFA and the South American uh, football uh, authorities are pretty united in their opposition to a World Cup taking place every two years. Um, and th- uh, you know, I think we, we've discussed this at length, uh, that, you know, and th- there are pros and cons uh, when, when you do look at it, but... Um, the the existing fixture congestion it could could only be amplified. Um, and this leaves uh, FIFA with, with a problem because you know, ultimately, it all comes down to money uh, and politics. Um, if FIFA aren't going to have money coming in once every two years, because effectively FIFA only make money once every four years um, under, under the present uh, situation, because could, could, I can't remember who won the Confederations Cup or who won the, the FIFA Club World Cup. Um, uh, most recently, and, and perhaps that's that makes me a bad fan. I don't know. Uh, but it, it doesn't seem to engage with an awful lot of people. Um, but what FIFA have done is that they've seen that the, the Nations League, which, which if we're honest, I think we were quite sniffy about to begin with, um, now does have a sort of a, a degree of interest, and it's it's a relatively small short competition at the final stage, but it, it does attract uh, it, it does attract broadcast uh, interest, which of course you know, generates money. Um, could they do this on on a global basis? Um, and if so, you know what are the benefits? Well, well the benefits is it would generate more money. So um, some form of seeding competition um, could now come in it, it it won't be the world cup um and i don't think it's just as you know we don't see the the nation's league as uh, a replacement for uefa but it, it could help to plug uh, a gap in fifa's finances and, and perhaps it would be a, a a good workaround a good compromise from the uh the present fallout that we have
1: kieran if you don't have a confederation cup spreadsheet then that tournament is dead to me
2: If it it means
1: nothing to you, it's not going to mean anything to the average football fan, Kieran, let's face it. Um, It's interview time, uh, Kieran, and football supporters welcomed the idea of a fan-led review into the game. Uh, Tracy Crouch MP conducted that review, spoke to many, many people in the game to do so, including you. The report is now out, and football supporters in general have welcomed the the results. So we spoke to Tracy Crouch about the process and about some of the details that are in that review and about the possibility of it becoming law.
2: or you're an aspiring musician, manager, or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon.
1: Tracy, thank you so much for joining us again. Before we start to talk details Of your report. Can you remind our listeners how the review came about and the sort of people you spoke to? And to avoid embarrassment, you can just say the Price of Football podcast. No need to specify which of us got invited to talk to you.
0: Well, thank you for having me again. um, I I feel that that shows some confidence in the fact that I didn't completely muck up the last (laughs) interview. Um, So the review was in the Conservative Party manifesto uh, for the last general election. because of actually what had happened at, at clubs like Bury and Macclesfield. Mm. Um, but obviously then COVID struck, and so it had been delayed. Uh, and then the ESL um, happened or attempted to happen, and government just basically got fed up with playing nicely, I think, and and triggered the review. Uh, and then six months later, the report came out. And, and it was very much a, a review led by fans. Mm. Um, we heard from... 130 something odd, you know, football club fan bases. Uh, we heard from um, supporters through a survey, 20,000 supporters through a survey. You know, so I, I'm pretty confident that we managed to, to cover off fans of, of most clubs throughout the, the pyramid.
1: And the overwhelming response from the fan groups uh, to the review has been one of welcome and relief, I would say. The Football Supporters Association, for example, called it a, a small step for government, but a giant leap for football fans. So you must be happy that the people it's kind of really aimed at understand it and, and get what you're trying to do with the review.
0: Well, I think firstly they welcomed the review. I mean, mm. I think they they found it sort of kind of quite a cathartic exercise in many respects. That people were finally listening to them, mm. um, and and you know some of the, the the evidence that we took from from fans, it was quite it was heartbreaking actually. You know, we we as a expert panel would come off calls with with certain fan groups and just be like oh gosh you know how awful you know the experience that they've had is just something that must never happen again um, and so you know it was I, I think that they really welcomed the opportunity to talk to somebody about the experience that they had had in their football clubs because you know, let's remember that this is not about any other it's, this is not like any other product in our life, you know. If you are fed up with your bank, your building society, your energy supplier, whatever, you can switch. You can just, you know, move on. It's not the same with a football club. You sign up for life, um, and you know. And when a football club uh, goes bust or faces cha- significant challenges, you know, it can impact not just you as a fan but the whole community. Um, and so, you know, I, th- I think it was really important for fans to, to, to participate in the review. And I'm, you know, I'm obviously thrilled with the, with their response to the recommendations.
1: Yeah, uh, Kieran will tell you that it's normally banks and building societies that get fed up with me rather than the other way around. Um, cathartic, cathartic is a really interesting word, Tracy, because it it actually came as quite a relief to me to hear the government say out loud that the money in football is unfairly distributed. Would you say that was the major concern? of most of the people you spoke to, the the unfair distribution of money in the game?
0: No, I think the, the main concern from fans was about ownership. Okay. Um, it, it was very much about sort of kind of people who had been involved in their football clubs that they thought, you know, shouldn't necessarily be involved in their clubs um, and had led them down the wrong path or, you know, had been absolute rogues. And, you know, had, it, so I would say that that was sort of kind of the main Gripe and then coupled with that would be about the lack of regulation um, within that. So, you know, when, for example, you know, evidence from Berry, and this, you know, this is well reported, they would go to the EFL with their concerns, and the EFL would say, you know, I'm sorry, this has nothing to do with us. We're just a competition organiser. And then so they'd go to the FA and the FA would say, I'm sorry, we're not regulated on this. And so they felt that they had nowhere to go. Um, So that sort of kind of regulatory gap was coupled very much with around ownership and and so on. And then obviously alongside that was around the financial regulation that you could literally gamble with money you don't have Mm. in a football club and that in turn put, you know, the the future of of clubs, as we've seen, um, in a perilous state.
1: Yeah, Kieran's been fighting that regulator corner for, well, forever since we started the pod, basically, and we will be talking about that in more detail later on. In terms of ownership, I, I particularly like the idea of the key items of club heritage being protected and the golden share idea for supporters that would give us some influence without having to be millionaires. But is there a fear that that would be the subject of constant legal action from club owners if that was implemented. You can't imagine the Glazers, for example, allowing that sort of thing to go unchallenged.
0: Well, you say that. um, Manchester United have already started the process of setting up a shadow board um, in which you know we we, we recommend that as, as one of one of the core recommendations about supporter engagement um so they will already start to to put that in place and the golden share sort of follows from that Liverpool football Club have already set up um uh, an engaged consult consent process um with their supporters so I don't think it is actually too far off the mark and I think the thing is the shadow board will be established so that all fan groups you know not just the supporters trust but you know our Whole host of fan groups within a, within a club can see what the vision is for the club. They can discuss the commercial, kind of side of things, um, and they can have that proper conversation uh, with the with the the main board. The golden share is a specific aspect around heritage items, which I hope is never used mm. because it's actually it's it's quite the review is quite prescriptive as to what it can be based on. So club colours, badge, competition, and so on. Well, you know, in, in the 46 years I've been following football, of which, you yeah, know, probably, you know, I don't know, 38 of them, I consciously had an understanding of it. You know, the, um, the, the these are rare, very rare occasions that you would require a golden share vote.
1: Yeah, I suppose Cardiff is the biggest example, wouldn't it be? And to whole the- Tigers. Yeah, of course. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That shows how much has gone on since we first started the pod because that was a big, big story at the start. There's a a real focus, uh, Tracy, on grassroots football in the review, which uh, uh, quite a few of the people reading it, especially in the Premier League, seem to have misunderstood the concept of fan-led review. Why are we talking about grassroots football? That focus on grassroots football and the women's game as well, was that always going to be the case for you, Tracy, or, Or did they become areas of concern as review went ahead
0: both um i think is the honest answer i mean you know my heart is very much in grassroots football mm. i support a premier league club i i give up money every year to uh, have a season ticket to watch spurs <laughs> um <laughs> the um you know sort of kind of self-inflicted pain um but um but you know i mean i've i i love my grassroots football i love non-league football i love kids football i think you know uh, that, that side of thing is something that we should continue to invest in um, and and I hope I did a little bit to contribute to that as sports minister um but i I mean I find that the premier League 's response to the idea of redistributing money to grassroots football really quite bizarre uh not least because the the transfer levy w- of which I proposed um in the report was actually recommended by a premier League club yeah. um so- <laughs> um, I, I thought it was a rather good idea, um, to be perfectly honest with you, um, and and I don't see why they shouldn't. It's where you know talent, particularly kids football, is where talent begins. Mm.
1: Uh, I want to bring Kieran in in a moment on the price of grassroots football, just exactly how much it costs to finance, because it's not a lot. But on the subject of the women's game, just in passing, there's been a little bit of uh, furore this week about. Charlton women's team being asked to revert to be Chelsea. called Charl- Charlton ladies. Oh,
0: sorry, Charlton. Yeah, sorry, I thought we were going to talk about Chelsea in the…
1: No, uh- we, we can talk about Chelsea, if you would, but I'm just I'm just interested in what you think. It's, it's nothing to do with finance, but it just seems to me a slightly backward step to suddenly uh, ask Charlton's women to be called Charlton's ladies again.
0: I, so to be honest with you, I didn't really understand the debate. Um, I, I'm not sort of kind of… Um, uh, somebody who sort of kind of is worried too much about the semantics as long as they've got a women's team. And, and um, I understand that people are upset by it and that's fine, you know, but uh, to be honest with you, when Chant were relegated, one of the first things that I think Michael Grade at the time did was get rid of the the ladies team or that's the women's true. team. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, at least they have a squad that are playing football. So, you know, um, I don't really understand the difference between <coughs> women and ladies, but that perhaps that just makes me a bad feminist more than anything else.
1: Well, possibly. But I'll be perfectly honest with you. Guy was very keen for us to deal with this as a news story, and we thought as two middle-aged men it would be much better to ask you.
0: For and a I've, view. I've <laughs> completely <ruined laughs> that for Guy as well. So, um. and,
1: well, to be fair to Charlton as well, the name changes come from an owner that is financing the team properly, so that's, that's the other side of the argument. Um, what, did you want to talk about Chelsea women as well?
0: Well, there's just this bizarre situation, isn't there, um, which has come to light where you had a pitch invader um, last week during the Champions Mm. League game. Um, And actually, it turns out that um, women's games are not covered by the same um, rules around designated matches as men's games. Um, And therefore, um, it, it looks like that the man could not be arrested under the legislation because they're not part of the same... Legislation, so there's an opportunity here to to close what is being classed as a loophole um, Hmm. in the designated matches legislation, which I thought was quite interesting.
1: It is, yes, Kieran. On talking of grassroots football, as we often do, there's some, as I say, bemusement from the Premier League that we were talking about it in this report. But I mean. I'm guessing, Kieran, it's peanut. I mean, in order to properly fund grassroots football, we're talking about a
2: fraction of the money that's in the game, aren't we? Um, Yes, uh, I think the the costs of running grassroots football have increased because uh, many – and a lot lot depends on how far do you want to go down the pyramid. But at at Sunday League level, I think that is the responsibility of the Football Association rather than the Premier League. Mm. Uh, but as soon as we start to move into semi-professional and National League, uh, the, the TV deals are worth peanuts. Uh, the the Premier League has, has very excitedly just signed and, and hats off to them. It's a fantastic product. Um, yeah, they've just signed uh, an upgraded deal with uh, the American broadcasters. Could they be a bit more generous uh, in terms of distribution? There's there's no reason why not. Um the i think it's really a case of how far do you want to go and the the accusations which have been made by the likes of angus kinnear and and karen brady and so on is, is that uh, we're going to move to some form of maoist dystopian everybody's on the same wage and yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that simply isn't the case you know, i've you know, trace tracy's produce a 162 page report i've read every single word at least twice uh there's there's nothing like that I, I don't know where some of these comments are coming from um you know how how grassroots football should be decided it's it, it's it's a health issue it's a mental health issue it's a, it's an it's uh it, it's something which gives enjoyment um no, nobody's saying that it should be fully funded by the premier league everybody knows that they should be paying their match subs um, just, just as just as I do when I go to go and play you know, five-a-side at the local gym. Uh, it, it's, uh, I, I think the, the, the reaction has been uh, very weird. I, well, I, we're, we're, I mean, I
0: just, I just think it's it, – it just showed, actually, to me, Karen, that they hadn't read the report. Um, I mean, for start, there's two things to this. First of all, the Premier League distributes funding from its broadcasting revenue down the pyramid. No one is asking for the Premier League – to distribute more well i say no one lots of people are but i'm not asking the, the premier league to distribute more down the pyramid from its broadcasting revenue what i'm asking is for premier league clubs to fund or to put extra money uh, into grassroots through a transfer levy on international and premier league players So this is not about the Premier League. This is about the clubs. Now, bearing in mind, post-COVID, when we had a season of no spectators, there was still a billion pound transfer window. I'm pretty sure that they could just afford a little bit of extra funding to go to, I don't know, the Football Foundation to invest in um, pitches, for example, And in the report, I didn't actually put a price on it. I gave two indications of what 10% and 5% could look like from a transfer levy and what that would fund in grassroots football. But to be perfectly honest with you, the Premier League could do this tomorrow. They could change it tomorrow. They could put a 3% levy on, for example, and say, right, it's all going into the Football Foundation And then it's done. Right. And it's the proverbial one nil up part the team bus in front of the goal, because then everyone will be like, well, okay, fine. Right. Because I'm pretty sure that despite everything come January, we're still going to see a huge transfer window. And I just think, you know, whatever, 3%, 5%, 7%, 10% of that going into grassroots football would actually make a significant difference in pitches goals, facilities, you know, and so on. And I think given the fact that the Premier League scout around six-year-olds, seven-year-olds and pop them into their academies, I think it's the least they can do to make sure that those kids are playing on decent pitches.
1: Kieran and I have been joking about that Somewhat hysterical reaction of some Premier League chairman and chief execs, because they, they we both had this rather we thought hilarious the idea of you walking into a a bar full of Tory MPs just having been compared to Chairman Mao because <laughs> there can't be many Tory MPs who've been compared to Chairman. Did that? Did that reaction surprise you? I mean, we spoke a little bit about the opposition to the transfer levy. Uh, but it seemed to me it was a hysterical overreaction for people, as you say, who didn't quite seem to understand what the point of the review was in the first place.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was over the top, although I can tell you that people um, uh, from other clubs, put it that way, um, have sort of kind of dismissed or distanced themselves from those comments um, uh, that you know. To be honest with you, they they found it particularly distasteful um, and uh, not particularly helpful to the you know long term argument around the future of football. Um, I think Angus, in particular, you know, is somebody who likes to be poetic in his uh, uh, in his match reports. Uh, and that's fine. He's at liberty to do that. Um, but I don't think it's something that's particularly shared by the Leeds Supporters Trust mm. um, a, as a view. And, you know, and I'm confident that fans overall think that the review is something that is worth um, uh, endorsing. But the other thing is, is like, you know, it, it, all his match reports are online, right? So like two years ago, where they were in a t- totally different situation <laughs> elsewhere in the yeah. pyramid, you'd be unsurprised to learn that Angus thought that parachute payments were in a abomination uh, that they destroy competition uh, and uh, and should be scrapped and that funding should be redistributed down the pyramid so it just depends I guess which part of the pyramid you're in at the time of writing your match notes
1: Well I'm really I'm really pleased you raise that because there is such an element of hypocrisy to some of the reaction especially Leeds United for example who were as Kieran would tell you, a financial basket case in the Championship, now happily ensconced in the Premier League, and telling Championship clubs to get their house in order without the help of others. I mean, as you say, football fans aren't stupid. We we remember these things, and we put the, the response from Leeds United in that context.
0: Yeah, totally. In the same way that Aston Villa, you know, um, uh, whose whose chief exec went out um, on the day of the report to to dismiss uh recommendations in the report and talk about the investment you know the 1 billion pounds that the premier league distributes down the pyramid and everything else forgot to mention that half of that money goes on um parachute payments of which his club was once a recipient mm. so you know it's like actually yes you do distribute 1.23 billion pounds i think it is down the pyramid of which 628 million goes to a handful of clubs and then the the, the others the other 68 clubs or whatever actually don't get that, you know, an extortionate amount of money.
1: Yeah. And Kieran, parachute payments is is the one we can't solve, isn't it? There's there's no right answer to parachute payments, is there?
2: It It, it is very complex. I mean, the EFL say they should be scrapped, but the EFL have parachute payments themselves, which appears to be yeah. a bit of an inconsistency. Um, it, it's the gap between divisions uh, that's the the issue. If, if we can if we can narrow that gap through through some form of negotiation, people acting like adults, um, then then parachute payments automatically disappear. It, it's it's the it's the cliff that's the problem, not the parachute. Yeah, uh, and you know, the, the Premier League's an incredibly successful competition. It's a fantastic export. Um, I don't think anybody wants to, to cut off at the knees that those clubs that have been successful. Um, at the same time, the, the desire to get there uh, has, has, lent, has led to you know, somewhat lunatic behaviour uh, in, in terms of the way that clubs behave. And, you know, and we now have the, the tragic case of Derby County who are in administration um, because the owner got bored uh, of of funding those losses and it's, it's there's a genuine chance that the club might not exist and nobody's hoping it's going to come to that and you know hmrc are going to take a position the club's going to take a position the administrators are going to take a position um but it had been flagged um yeah. and and yeah. people just chose to to ignore it
1: yeah tracy of course the other big issue for critics was that of the independent regulator or as Steve Parish, chairman of my club, put it, gov- government interference. Um, which which we-
0: shows, Kevin, that actually he didn't read the report.
1: I, 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 I couldn't agree more, unfortunately, because Steve Parrish is an intelligent man, and I think if he had read the report, he'd agree with most of it. But um, were you surprised by that? I mean, vehement... Um, disapproval of the idea of an independent regulator but then of course the EFL backed the idea were you surprised by that as well
0: so I mean the frustrating thing about um, some of the comments about the independent regulator is again they haven't read the report because they're calling it a government regulator and I make it very very clear in the report that it is not a government regulator you know it is appointed independent of government so it won't be that the prime minister is you know uh, wanting to um, appoint, I don't know, Paul Dacre. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's you know, it is entirely independent of of government. And that's the that's the annoying thing is that you know I go to great pains to sort of kind of show how this is not sort of kind of political interference. But anyway, um, the 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 reaction I, for, the reaction from the Premier League is something that I'm not surprised about. They have at least been consistent. I, I'm talking about the Premier League, not necessarily Premier League clubs, yeah. um, because there is there are differences within Premier League clubs about an independent regulator. But the Premier League has consistently argued for an independent unit within the F. Now, this makes me laugh a lot because the one thing the FA is not is independent um, and therefore the vested interests still sort of kind of rule within the the football association. So the idea that we as football fans are suddenly going to think, oh, yeah, no, that will work, right, is hilarious. Um, And I kind of feel that they've completely misread the room on that. The EFL, I will be absolutely honest and upfront they started off very much of a view that the independent regulator is not necessary. They want an independent unit in their own um, uh, league. And in fact, I think they're still going to continue in setting up some sort of independent unit until an independent regulator is um, is appointed. But they have realized which direction you know, travel is going in. And they have been smart enough, in my view, to actually read the tea leaves in in Parliament in Westminster, but also, um, you know, the views of fans and of clubs and have got on board, albeit, you know, hesitantly and, and not, you know, re, you know, perhaps a bit reluctantly, but they've got on board with the idea of an independent regulator. So, you know, they've come on the journey, whereas I kind of feel that the Premier League and the FA haven't even got to the station yet. Um, but the train has, has definitely left.
1: It's it, it's a shame. If Steve Parish, I'm sure he has read the review or somebody's read it on his behalf. That's how Steve tends to work a lot of the time. <laughs> um, I, there is so much in it that I think he would have agreed. To. I mean, Steve was the, the, the Premier League chairman who led the response of the other 14 clubs to the idea of a Super League, and he doesn't seem to put two and two together with some of these things. An independent regulator would have, probably headed the Super League idea off at the pass a long time ago. And and he's talked about a fairer distribution of the money in in the in football. And it's, it's slightly disappointing that he's just gone for the headline as well. Speaking of which, I wish you hadn't said that about Paul Dacre because I'm worried that producer guy might try and use that as an exclusive. <laughs> we might, end, we might end up with a producer guy tweet that sends – um,
0: yeah, let's not, let's not go down there, right? Okay, No, no, let's, no. Let's, not, no, go no, let's, 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 let's fact, not go down that river. If there yeah. is no news story from this podcast, then will be, it, be... that, will, <laughs> that will help enormously with the whole idea of <laughs> moving forward on this, on <laughs> the recommendations.
1: There will be no news story on this podcast. Um, and before we talk about moving forward, because I, I, we have time issues, I know that. Um, Tracy, the one thing as well I'm, I'm really keen to ask you, because even fans of the review, which we are, have wondered why there is no mention in there of, of states, foreign states, taking over football clubs, particularly with the Newcastle situation ongoing. Was that simply because you can't ask football not to deal with countries that the government has trade links with?
0: Well, there's two parts to that to that um, question. Um, the first is that the Newcastle takeover happened towards the end of, yes, of the review process. So, you know, uh, we were taking lots of questions um, uh, uh, comments from fans uh, in Newcastle who were just desperately keen for transparency in a takeover process Um, and you know I think this was going on for what four years and they were getting exceptionally frustrated uh, and everything else so from a fan perspective which is obviously where where we were at um they just wanted answers and they wanted a decision to be made and then sort of, kind of the decision happened when we finished taking evidence from, f- from fan groups and we're in the process of uh um writing up the recommendations but the but there is an aspect of you know um we we do as a as a country under all governments not just ours but we do as yes, a country yes. trade with with Saudi Arabia and, and other countries um, and therefore it is I, I you know I think there's legal issues as to whether or not you could stop them being involved I don't know because I'm not a lawyer but I suspect it would be really difficult to say well you can't own a football mm. club but hey here's a major stake in Disney you know run wild with Pocahontas um, so <laughs> it's like I just kind of you know I, I find it slightly difficult to, to say that um, but also you know where do we stop okay because we sit there saying Saudis have got a poor human rights record, and yes, they do. But we let a Chinese consortium run yeah, yeah. Uh, wolves. You yeah. know, we've got Russians involved in uh, in Chelsea. Um, we've got an Iranian involved in Everton. You know, so where? Well, actually, the Americans still have the death penalty. So, are we going to yeah, talk no, about yes, their human yes, rights yes, record? Yes, yes,
1: um,
0: I've been on many foreign trips where people berate us for our human rights record because we don't give prisoners the vote. So. You know, at which point do we start to say somebody's human rights record is so bad, you know, uh, when there are varying views on our own human rights record?
1: Yeah, do you know, interestingly, if we had a, a listener from Malaysia who pointed out recently when we were talking about human rights, et cetera, and, and Newcastle pointed out that when the World Cup took place in England in 1966, homosexuality was illegal which is a, a thought, I, it never even crossed my mind. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, again, two wrongs don't make a right, but it's an interesting point that sometimes we do need to look inwards as well as outwards. Uh, I before also, we go to...
0: I just, just on that, I also think there's... I, I'm a great believer that sport solves everything, right? Mm-hmm. I, I literally show me a problem where sport isn't the answer. Um, and, you know, I, as sports minister, was forced to go to Saudi Arabia um, for, um, uh, to, to, talk about women's sport. Um, and I, I didn't want to go. I did absolutely everything I possibly could to get out of it. Um, it, including not telling my private office that my passport had run out. Um, <laughs> but, um annoyingly, there's sort of kind of super efficient on these things. Um, anyway, I, I went and I played football with girls yeah. and I talked about, why it was important to let women into stadia, why it was important to get women active, uh, and so on. And do you know what? There was an article in the paper um, about six weeks ago, and I took a picture of it because it was just phenomenal, of a um, female national Saudi football player playing in the national stadium. And I thought, you know, they still hang people. Um, But, you know, we've made a little bit of progress on women playing sport in Saudi Arabia. And, um, and I just think actually, you know, football can, can help address some of the issues around human rights and equalities. And so, yes, I hate it. And I feel uncomfortable. um, But, you know, let's use it as an opportunity.
2: I
1: I love that concept and there's not a a problem that sport can't solve because there have been times walking away from Sellers Park when I think the sport has made it worse. (laughs) (laughs) I I know, but but there again, as (laughs) Kieran will know, I've I've been through a difficult time recently with bereavement or whatever, and then walking away from Sellers Park when we beat Everton 3-1 does add a spring to it, does, it does make a difference to your life. So you're absolutely right. Um, just finally, Tracy, the good news is it seems that there is the political will to do this, to follow through on the review. I noticed Julian Knight, who's the Department for Culture, Media and Sport Committee Chair, he said recently there must be no further prevarication. We must look to introduce a football regulator in the next Queen's speech. We can't keep kicking this down the road. So, I mean, that's good news from your point of view. So, do, do you think this will be passed into legislation? Do you think these things will will happen and that the opposition will fall away?
0: So I'm heartened um, by the government's response to this. Both um, the, the Secretary of State and the Prime Minister um, did various clips. PM put something on Instagram saying that they support the main recommendation of the report. Um, it, it wasn't nuanced. Um, so he didn't say we support the main recommendation, but we'll consider, you know, the position on Legislation. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful that there is something um, being done within Whitehall now to draw up legislation. I know for a fact that the Premier League are you know recruiting all the possible lawyers and economists and everybody else to dazzle civil servants with um, uh, ways of preventing this from happening. Um, uh, so I would be severely disappointed if there wasn't something in the Queen's speech. Um, but you know let 's wait and see i i say i'm 'm confident that government accepts that the main recommendation of independent regulator and therefore everything else follows into it it 's not it 's not an a la carte menu. this is a holistic package of reform um and so you know f- fingers crossed shall i say
1: good well let 's bring it right back to where we started and just say at the very least i I really hope that you've been heartened and gladdened by the response of football fans groups which has been unanimously positive as well and they're the people that this was this was done for so in that case it's already been a success as far as we're concerned so let's hope it can be made a formal success and some of these things are adopted without too much fuss from uh, the people who normally make a fuss
0: <laughs> yeah well no thank you and and the fan groups have been amazing they were amazing during the process they've been amazing afterwards you know they need to let their mps know that they um they support um the review and its recommendations um so that their mps know that you know that what the feeling is out there on the, on the ground so get writing emails and letters um is all i say
1: and of course you 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 spoke to the world's leading football finance expert as well, didn't you?
0: I did. I did. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that Dan Jones from uh, Deloitte was amazing. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Karen actually contributed a huge amount in terms of you yes. know, some of the technical stuff. Um, and, you know, the smoothing around parachute payments is something that is not going to go away in terms of how do we, we, we as, as he said earlier, how do we address the issue of the cliff edge, not just between... Mm. Uh, Premier League and championships, but also championship to League One and League One to League Two. Um, But but also, you know, the the technical stuff around capital and liquidity uh, requirements for um, uh, for football clubs in the future. I mean, I I keep on describing it as a really sexy recommendation, um, but it is only sexy if you're really into financial regulation, nerdy stuff. Um, and uh, and and I was amazed that I did get quite interested in it. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, no, it's um, it, it was very helpful. Thank you, Kieran. Uh,
1: we, yeah, we've lost Kieran for the rest of the day. Now you started talking about <laughs> se- sexy liquidation and capital. That's it. that's him gone. I'm afraid, Tracy. Tracy, thank you so much for talking. To us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I oh, mean, she's great, Kieran. As you say, she she. <laughs> takes every question properly on the chin. She doesn't avoid uh, difficult answers, but she 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 does sound a bit bemused still about the level of antipathy towards a report from people in the Premier League who she thinks probably haven't read it.
2: Well, yeah, there's if, if they had read it, you would have thought that their answers would have been um, a bit more nuanced and a, a little less populist, uh, in 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 the nature of their replies, um, the the report is progressive. It's yeah, uh, you know, as, as she said herself, yeah, you know, she's she's not demanding uh, anything which is unreasonable. Uh, the Premier League is is very successful, and she wants it to remain successful. Yeah, you know, Trace Tracy's a Spurs fan, so yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah, you know, it, she she's seen the benefits of of the club growing on on the back of a successful Premier League herself. Um so yeah the the reaction from uh some owners and I think it's it's very noticeable that the the clubs which have been put forward and you know, clearly there's been a WhatsApp group meeting here it's it's been Leeds Villa Palace and so on. Yeah. Um the 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 sneaky six who were behind Super League they they've kept their mouths firmly shut. Um and this is this is part of the process going forwards, as as Tracy herself said, um, there's going to be an army of lobbyists and economists and accountants and lawyers uh, poo pooing any of the proposals, which uh, the Premier League itself doesn't like. Um, but uh, yeah, the Premier League exists uh, in this country because football exists, and football exists because of fans. Why is such opposition to The transfer levy idea
1: from Premier League clubs, and is a transfer? Is would that be a levy on
2: profits from a transfer, or on the actual transfer fee itself? I think it's a levy on the fee itself. Now, this only applies to um, transfers from one Premier League club to another. So, um, if if the Premier League is 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 the Premier League club is looking to recruit players from you know Stoke. Sunderland derby wherever it's going to be um there's there's no adjustment there which which is actually good because it 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 prevents the premier league clubs from saying well yeah you know, we were going to give you 20 million but we have got to go and pay this 2 million you know 1 yeah. million pound yeah, yeah. whatever it's going to be so therefore we we're, you know, we're going to take it off you um so it's only going to be between premier league and premier league and uh, also between uh, premier league and and overseas deals so again that's that, that's good in a sense that there is a um uh, you know, a a premium uh, which which encourages local development, and and I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not certain where the Premier League's response came uh, in, in respect of this, or or those people that have been opposing it. Um, you know, we we, we pay levies on on many products that we buy. Um, I, I've I've just written an article for a uh, a, uh, a a journal called Political Quarterly whereby I've said, you know, my, my club Brighton, your club Palace, we, we generated more money than the likes of, I think it was Ajax and, and Inter last year. Wow, wow. Uh, so, you know, we are not disadvantaged as Premier League football clubs and also the vast majority of the, the levy would be paid by the Sneaky Six who who make such huge additional sums com- compared to the rest of football that it, that it is being borne by those with the broadest shoulders.
1: Yeah. Uh if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our always free to airpod, then please go to patreon.com slash price of football. If you have a question you like answered on the show, our Monday show is all questions, then email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell.
2: Well, thanks again, folks, for feedback and reviews. Um it it does it does help us on the business side, You know, And and I'm and I and I'm contractually bound to say that because that's what producer guy uh, says and, and before before he sends me any wonky chomps for finley for christmas uh uh he says we should make sure you mention it um so if, if you can go on to that uh, that that uh, that purple icon uh, and I've, I've been told it's purple i don't know i don't know what purple is of course um for Apple or your, your podcast provider and you could give us a review, you give us five stars, that would be fantastic, but don't, you know, don't 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 we don't think it's worth it. Um and it doesn't matter what you say, by the way, in terms of the narrative, uh, it's the fact that you've given the review. Um so you, you could say it was you'd rather have it hosted by Casey Jones, driver of the Cannonball Express Ooh. and Pauline Black, the lead singer of The Selector. And and I think that would be an interesting uh, an interesting combination. Oh. Considering
1: one of them is fictional, it would be really.
2: really oh, no, not. No, Casey Jones is is real. No. Yeah, Casey Jones, steaming and rolling, steaming and rolling. Yeah, you, you never have, have to, to guess to- yeah. when you hear the tooting of the whistle. It's Casey at the throttle of the Cannibal Express. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it, 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 that that show is based on a real rail, a real railway road pioneer who sadly died when he was run over by his own train. Oh, oh well, that's that's the way to that, end the. Really, part, it? That's why there wasn't a second series. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear
1: Well, you, I, I've learned a lot on this part I don't mean this to sound flippant Kira, but you mentioning purple there so your colour blindness just ruins quality street for you as well yes
2: yeah oh, I'd go on shape
1: nice. not not colour oh my lord I, I'm finding more and more stuff out about that terrible affliction every week um, thanks for listening everybody and we will be back soon and we will be announcing officially uh, the quiz well we can do it now it's 7 o'clock next Tuesday isn't it the 21st I believe yep yeah. Yeah, splendid. Great, okay. Better write some questions. Let's make that a date then. I'm sure producer Guy has his own view on when the the quiz should be, but we've just decided it's 7 o'clock next Tuesday, Christmas quiz. See you there. Bye, everybody.
2: Bye. I son for football.